0: You're listening to The Sportsman's Nation, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. Now, if you guys aren't familiar with Exodus Trail Cameras, I'm going to recommend you go to their website. Tons of great information about their products, right? The cool part is, is they're turning four. They're having their fourth anniversary. And to celebrate, they are offering 25% off their Exodus Lift 2 their Trek, and their new solar panel. And this is running from May 15th to May 28th. Um, They have a ton of great uh, features, right? I don't have enough time to share all of those features in this little time frame that I have to talk about it. But here's what I'm going to tell you. I have a camera off their very first run, and it has not given me any problems at all, right? Put the SD card in, format the card, Turn it on, and it takes pictures, period, right? And that's what we want trail cameras to do. They work every single time. Take advantage of this. 25% off. Go to their website, exodusoutdoorgear.com. Do some research about all the functionality of their cameras, right? You can take a look at their price. You can find the one that's right for you. You can enter the discount code YEAR4. Y-E-A-R, the number four, and save 25%. Happy Monday, flying everybody, flying. and welcome back to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. It's Monday, and when you guys are listening to this, I'll actually be down in Texas, and I will be on a business trip, right? I got invited by a company to go down to a Texas high fence operation and go on uh, what they call media hunts right so i'll I'll go down there i'll provide coverage for this company um, i'll be doing podcasts with uh, people within this company uh, talking about products talking about gear talking about a whole bunch of different things and i'll also be taking advantage of some hunting while while we're down there and from my understanding uh, we won't be hunting any whitetails but we will have the opportunity to hunt some exotic animals like Audad and access or Sikadir. I think hogs and then this thing called an Isu or something like that. It's like an ostrich, but it's not an ostrich. It looks like one. And so today I brought, you know, Mark Kenyon. Everybody knows Mark Kenyon from the Wired to Hunt podcast. I brought him on to have a conversation about this high fence hunt that we're going on and a lot of it has to do with because this is a first for me I've never been on anything like this from a media standpoint also I've never been on a hunt like this from us from a high fence operation so I have some mixed emotions about what I'm really feeling as far as the high fence the controlled environment um, the species that I'll actually be hunting and I just kind of wanted to get those feelings and emotions off my chest Um, And I feel that Mark is uh, really good to talk with because he likes to throw the devil's advocate card out there a lot. And uh, my whole whole point behind this is to see how the other side hunts, right? There's a a big population, especially down in Texas, that hunts in high fence operations, whether that's a 30,000 acre unit or a 7,000 acre or whatever. Uh, A lot of hunters hunt this way. So I feel that before I can actually judge what everybody else is doing and saying if I truly like this or don't like it, then I can... I have to go do it, and I think this is an opportunity for for uh, me to really see how that is, and it's a great business opportunity for me as well. So that's what today's podcast is about. We kind of go through everything that I just said in a little more detail. But before we get into today's podcast, I need to talk about Ozonics. Right? Ozonics is <laughs> it's a it's a product that still people aren't understanding, and. You need to go check out their products first, OzonicsHunting.com, right? And see how ozone technology works within your hunting regimen. Whether you want to use it just for scent control at home with their dry wash bag, you know, like after the end of the day, you you take an Ozonics unit, you put it in the dry wash bag, you hang your clothes in there, and you kills all the odor and all the scent off your clothes or you actually use it in the tree which i highly recommend um if you're the if you're the kind of guy like me who's very busy with life right and you got kids and you have this job that you're trying to do and at the same time you need to go out and you want you want every opportunity to turn into a potential shot uh an ozonics is for you right and long story short it just provides more opportunities if you use the entire system not only from a scent control um, at home you know in the dry wash bag but in the field where the unit spring ozone downwind and it's kind of covers your backside right it watches your six and uh, so here's the offer that Ozonix is giving all of the listeners of the Nine Finger Chronicles and that is when you order an HR 300 or an HR 200 or 230, excuse me, an H.R. 300 or an H.R. 230, you enter the discount code NFC18, NFC18, and you will get a free dry wash bag with the purchase of that H.R. 300 or H.R. three twenty or 230. I'm telling you right now, it's worth it. Um, It's a a higher level uh, cost, but long term, you save money because you're washing your clothes less, Throughout the season, you don't need those as you know. You don't need those scent sprays as much as you know. I I I barely use those scent um, uh, scent sprays anymore, and it's just an awesome um, opportunity maker. If that's uh, if that's how I want to put it. So, go go to ozonicshunting.com. Just read up on the product because um, you can't make a decision until you're informed. Get informed, and then uh, trust me when I say it's worth it. So. Go check it out now, enough of the talking. Let's get into today's podcast with Mark Kenyon. The tables have turned, and Mark Kenyon is now the guest. What's up, dude?
1: I love it when you do this um i'm I'm doing good, glad to be on the podcast and I always like being able to kick back and and just roll with whatever the host wants to do, so yeah. I am at your mercy. Good, good. Well, real quick, how's the fam? Aha, you know, great. Everett is just like so much fun right now. He's entered the Terrible Twos a little bit early. He's a year and four months old now, I think, but already running around and getting into everything, and he has this little shitting grin that he gets on his face when he (laughs) knows he's doing something he's not supposed to do. (laughs) And so he already like – for example, he's not supposed to stand up on the furniture. Yeah. He has like a little baby chair, like it's a little it's a nice, like comfortable chair made for a little toddler. Yeah. And he loves to sit in it, but he's not supposed to stand on it. So I'm working the other day at the table, and typing away my computer, and I happen to glance movement out of the corner of my eye, and I see him standing on top of his chair, staring at me with this huge smile on his face, just like he's been waiting. He's just been waiting and waiting and waiting for me to look at him. And then finally I did, and then he just, like, the smile slowly shifts to, like, a grin as he puts his head down further and further and, like, smirking at me, like, I'm just waiting for you to yell at me. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you son of a gun. (laughs) I tell you,
0: I keep forgetting how close Knox and Everett are in age.
1: Oh, yeah, they're right there just, I don't know, four months months apart or something. Yeah,
0: yeah, Uh, because Knox is 20. He turns two in September, and when – when was Everett born? January. January. Okay. So yeah, so four, four months. Um, I keep forgetting how close they are. And man, that that is a fact. I, Knox is in the stage now where he has to be busy at all times, whether it's climbing or playing with toys or like, you know, trying to take the safety plugs out of the, uh, yes. the electrical outlets or try, now yeah. now he's tall enough to where he can reach and he knows how to open doors now.
1: Oh, so, shit. <laughs> so
0: shut doors don't mean anything anymore.
1: Yeah. Everett can he can reach the handle, but he hasn't he hasn't been able to spin it yet. So I'm worried. I'm worried. Any any advice on how to deal with that? Oh, no, dude, you're screwed. Just, Just like give up. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, like for me, we try to like keep them busy in a certain area. And it's it's getting harder and harder because not only does he know how to open doors now, but he's a brute. So he'll start he'll start shaking the safety gate to the point where it fa- it just rips out of the wall and falls over.
1: Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. I feel like this is um, probably like your parents could look back on what you were on as a kid <laughs> and they now see this and they say, "Ah, oh, that's, that's what he gets. That's he's right. getting right back what he was given. So right now we got him in a
0: coma because uh, I call it the Daniel tiger induced coma uh, because yeah. he's sitting down on this little Paw Patrol couch and he's, watching Daniel Tiger
1: yeah it's it's Sesame Street for us yeah that's the ticket if you need him to if you if you need him in zombie mode so you can get a little work done (laughs) just turn that on
0: (laughs) well that you know that saying uh, a while ago or I mean like years and years ago when the tv was first invented they said it was the best babysitter ever
1: Uh uh-huh yeah it's uh the trick is not to at least I feel like it's so tempting to use it. Yeah. It's like, fortunately, my wife is a real stickler about it. If not, I probably would use it way too much. Because yeah. it works. It yeah. really does work.
0: I just can't. I just can't wait. So my oldest two, they are able. I, I feel very comfortable. Okay, go outside and play. They we have um, a jungle gym type play area in our backyard, and I can say, get out of here, and they they we we go play, and then that's fine. Right. The youngest one can't do that yet because he'll end up in the next county the way he just wanders. So Mm -hmm. once he gets to the point where he knows he needs to stay and he can follow directions, oh, man, my life will be so much easier.
1: Man, do you ever take a second and just think back how different our lives were like five, six years ago when we first started, like talking about doing a podcast and all that stuff? Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah. It was funny because um, I see what year did Wired to Hunt? start. Well, the podcast the podcast. Yeah.
1: I think the podcast launched in like late winter of or early spring, late winter, 2014. But I think you and me were talking about it in like 2013, late 2013,
0: maybe. Yeah. Right. So that shed hunt that we went on in March, 2014 kind of
1: sparked all yeah. of that. Right. Yeah. That's when I brought the idea to you. Well, okay. maybe I guess that was when we brought the idea to you. Right. Yeah. So anyway, I think I had
0: I think I had only one kid at that point, and Sarah might have been pregnant with Mac. So yes, life has changed. And the funny thing about it is, it's it's fun listening to you, like listen to your frustrations having one kid as opposed to me having like nineteen. Yeah, it's basically a gang. Like a street gang of, of for a family. Because they are not intimidated by me or my wife at all. So if I really want their attention, I gotta flex hard like I'm like I'm about to fight another grown man in order for them to listen.
1: Oh, I am absolutely terrified of the idea of even having a second child.
0: Right, right. I can't
1: imagine three.
0: I have friends where I the only reason I think they invite my family over to their house is because they're debating whether or not to have more children and their solution to that question is i tell you what let's invite the johnsons over let's see how how their life is and (laughs) then we leave every one of those gatherings with them saying we're not having any more kids yeah
1: (laughs) so whichever one of the people in the family who doesn't want more kids you're the one they call
0: yeah exactly (laughs) it's it's almost like i'm a a family consultant
1: Yes. You are being used as a tool to, to help some people and, and hurt others.
0: Well, that's not the first time I've been called a tool, so we'll be there. All right. Uh yeah. So uh I got you I brought you on this podcast today because in some way, shape, or, or form, I feel like you're a good voice of reason. Now I don't know I don't know any more details other than that because uh we like to we like to BS a lot and
1: um i have this it's not necessarily a dilemma but it's that might be f- the nicest thing you ever said to me by the way <laughs> that. that i that i might be somewhat of a voice of reason <laughs> i appreciate that it's i i have to bring this story
0: up um, <laughs> i have this buddy uh so he's my age and my brother is 5 years younger than me and this my buddy used to give my little brother a a hard time all the time, all the time, like just grill him and pick on him and shit. But, you know, it's kind of all in good fun. Right. Mm-hmm. And so uh, one day we were all hanging out together and my buddy says to my brother, man, your breath smells like shit. And, <laughs> and my brother's like, thanks, man. That's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> yeah. It's all how you take it. Right. 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 <laughs> all right so um i don't i don't know if i i'm going to call this this opportunity that i've placed in front of me as a i don't know what the word is i'm i'm really looking for because um if i have this kind of dilemma if that makes sense right if or or this um this i don't know this answer that i need this question that i need answered right so um I got invited on a media hunt down in Texas, right? So this company has invited me to come to this ranch and hunt there. At the same time, while I'm there, I will be covering, you know, doing some podcasting, covering their company, covering, you know, doing some podcasting with some engineers and and whatnot. And, uh, you know, talking about this company's products and, and other products lines that they have. Now, this ranch from my understanding is a it's a mixture between high fence and low fence right and this is a first for me because i've never done any hunting outside of what i guess you would call a controlled environment right so in this in this ranch they have exotic animals and i think that's what we we are going to be hunting um uh, Not any whitetails, but this is a place where they, you know, if you want to shoot a 200-inch deer, you can go shoot a 200-inch deer. You can get that opportunity if you you can pick basically pick off a menu of what you want to shoot, and they'll make that happen, right? And I have never done this, and I always used to be that person who's like, oh, dude, high fence hunting's bad, high fence hunting's bad. But I've I've said that without ever experiencing it, right? So, in my mind, I'm saying this is a great business opportunity for me to go do this. But at the same time, I'm saying, okay, it's a high fence. These aren't wild, free range animals per se. So I'm I don't I don't want to say that I have this moral dilemma, but it, I have these questions that kind of pop pop up in my head. So my que- my first question to you is, have you ever done any type of high fence hunting or like c- controlled environment hunting, whether that is in a high fence uh, environment
1: or a like a really big farm or private ranch type setting. So no, I've I've not done anything high fence uh, or controlled or anything like that. I mean, uh, the closest thing I've done to that. Well, I mean, and it's not even close at all. I mean, I've hunted some properties that are large and that yeah. are managed for wildlife, but but nothing that has you know. Nothing in that kind of way, whether it be a big farm that's high fence, a small place is high fence, uh, none of the captive deer kind of situation like that haven't done it.
0: Yeah. Okay. So is this something that you would ever consider? Let's say that uh, you got, you, let's, let's put my shoes on your feet for a second and you got invited to this. Uh, this event is this something that y- you would have any problems doing taking the life of an animal that is uh, I guess more I don't want to say it's agriculture because it's it is a big environment it's like a, a really large enclosure but it's not but it's not like what I've seen in the past where it's these
1: um, like cow pens basically you know what I mean right yeah yeah man Um, it's it's a uh it's an interesting situation cause I've had similar invites as you like that. Yep. And, um, and yeah, it puts you in a weird spot because it feels like, Hey, this is a great opportunity from a business standpoint to meet people that would be, you know, good to develop a network with. It'd be a great opportunity to get some content. It would be a great opportunity to build some relationships. Um, if we're just being honest about like the business side of things like, like, right, this is our job, right? right. right. Our job is to, to produce content within the hunting space. And a really big part of that is whether we like it or not and whether people back home know it or not, Like a lot of it is like the opportunities that come, come by way of who you know, who you have relationships with, right? If someone has got, maybe they want to launch a podcast for a great big brand and they're going to pay someone a decent amount of money to do it. Um, that's a great business opportunity for someone. If you happen to be the person that this company knows and, and trusts and you've got a great relationship, well, there's your opportunity to um, you know, make a living that you wouldn't have had otherwise if you just stayed in your office and never talked to anyone. Right. Um, so there definitely is value to taking advantage of those things, um, to doing that kind of stuff. So I get that. I have in the past – turned down any thing like this um to, with the exception of one i took one media hunt um and it was a guided hunt and i i've kind of always been of the mind and this is not um this is not a judgment of anyone who chooses to do otherwise this is just like me but i personally chose to draw a line on outfitted hunts and guided hunts and stuff like that. Not because there's anything wrong with it, but simply because it just didn't fit the experience and the hunting um, process that I wanted to have for myself. So I did one guided hunt for one media hunt because I thought, oh man, I really want to take advantage of this opportunity to get to know these folks, uh, to build a relationship there. It'd be good for Wired to hunt. And I did it and it was fine, but it, it didn't end up, it didn't end up um, A, the hunt was fine, um, didn't end up killing anything, had a, had a good time, beautiful area. It was a free-range, you know, public land, well, not public land, it was a private land hunt, free-range elk hunt. Um, so, I, so the way I angled it for myself in my head was, hey, you know, yeah, you, you don't do outfitted hunts, you don't do guided hunts, you're going to do one, you're going to do this one because it's an opportunity to learn. You're going to try to learn from this guide because you haven't elk hunted a lot. Um, so from that standpoint, it can still kind of fit your goals, um, plus you're going to have this great benefit of building this relationship and and whatnot the hunt was fine um but it wasn't you know i just i just am kind of a loner i kind of like to do things my way i I like to do trips my way Uh, i didn't really like being stuck doing what the guy had had to do having to you know be in the cabins and and eat with a big group when he had to eat and do things this way just like wasn't my style but it was fine um the end relationship goal and stuff was maybe like kind of yeah but it wasn't like monumental, um, so I would call that one kind of a wash. I guess it was a good experience to see what that thing's like, but I didn't come out of it thinking like, um, "Oh, that was the worst thing ever," or "Oh, that was an amazing experience and I got some really great networking benefits from it, or something like that." It's kind of just meh. So since that point, I've kind of been like, you know what? I don't think I need to do these. Um, I don't need to do these things, yeah. but. There definitely is value to the networking and whatnot. But there were a couple I got that were um, you know, this kind of situation a little bit. And so what I would say is I wouldn't do it. Yeah. I just and this is not in any kind of way a judgment of what you decide to do or what anyone else decides, because everyone's gonna come down on this differently. Right. But I just would feel too uncomfortable with what that would mean um, with like how I justify why I hunt, how I hunt um, and like I just draw a hard line yeah. maybe that's wrong because I I have not been involved in any kind of high fence hunt and I've had some pretty I've been very outspoken about the issues that I have with high fence operations and the captive deer industry and I've had some people reach out to me and say hey Like you don't understand everything that what, what about these people down in Texas that have 20,000 acres and that's just how we do it down there. We have the high fences, but it doesn't feel like they're, you know, it just feels like just any other free range environment. Yeah. The only reason why we have the high fence is because of, I can't remember what reasons they have down there. Um, but it's not like it doesn't feel like a real hunt. The deer still have just as good of a chance to evade you and whatnot. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that might be true. I, I don't, I don't know it. I haven't been down there. I haven't seen what these operations are like. Um, but I have seen enough and read enough and and seen some like the worst case scenarios, um, that have just sullied the thing so much for me. And, um, that would make me uncomfortable just me. But, um, but those are my concern. My concerns are around just the, the, the process and experience itself that I would have, like what that would, how that might or might not change this without getting too woo here, like the sanctity of of right. kind of this hunting, this pact that we kind of have as a hunter and, and with wildlife. Um, and then number two, I just have real concerns about what the high fence industry does and, and means for our PR issues we have with the larger world too yeah. and how all the negative ramifications of that stuff and how that gets painted onto the rest of the hunting community yeah um so so th- I, I say all this not to try to damn anyone who's doing it though like that's right. just like these are like my things but I, I understand there's a lot of gray area and I completely understand the dilemma you're facing like yeah. it is a dilemma and I get it um but where's your head on all those things I just said
0: yeah so like okay so I'm going on this hunt right I so my first thought was I, I don't want to shoot a whitetail in this environment because I have the opportunity to shoot a whitetail in all these other free-range environments, right? And I don't know if I'm talking myself into it or if I'm trying to talk myself out of it, but I've I've said yes with the main purpose of, yes, this is going to be great for making contacts, right? But at the same time, I've told myself before I can... Before a person can say whether or not they like or dislike something, they have to do it. Right. Uh, and I like to, to have a true opinion. Like, if, if someone said to me, I don't like bow hunting, but has never bow hunted before, then how do they know if they don't like it or not? Right. So, my goal here is to take part in this and go through with it and do it. Um, just to see just to know if this is something that I I like and maybe it maybe I've formed my opinion already and not given it a fair shot uh, in the past because of you know because a a huge population of hunters in America hunt this way right Texas is huge has a huge population of hunters and like you said earlier this is how they hunt down there they if they want to hunt this is how they have to hunt Right, uh, and not saying that there aren't other opportunities, but it's easier for them to to find opportunities in a scenario like this than going to, let's say, some Texas public ground. That you know, I've I've talked with some guys who hunt Texas public ground, and it's not the best, right? So they, a lot of people hunt this way, and so I think I've talked myself into, um, I've talked myself into saying yes to this. For those two reasons. One, it's going to be a great opportunity for, uh, for me from a business standpoint. But at the same time, again, I truly don't know unless I go and do it. Playing devil's advocate. Yes, I love that.
1: Uh, you've never punched a girl in the face before. Right, right. But you probably know it's wrong to do that.
0: Right. No, right, but punching a girl in the face is 100% illegal.
1: Right? Okay. So it's okay. This operation, I mean, this is this is
0: this is a a handshake, right? If we want to progress, right? We always have these conversations with each other, right? We're like, "Hey, man, the hunting community needs to come together and we need to shake hands and we need to have this approach to Now, I'm 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 saying all these things in a way playing devil's advocate as well. Right. Because the hunting community, if we want to um, portray to the rest of the non hunters, hey, we are a united community and we want you to come take part in this. And we want you to buy a hunting license and we want you to, you know, be take an active role in hunting and being part of this community. We have to have all of the communities come together as one community.
1: True. But then there's the other line of thinking that, yeah, that's all great and good. Unless one, unless someone within our community, let's say we're all riding in a boat together and we all want to be helping each other out and we're on the same team. But if one of these people is shooting holes in the boat, that's going to sink the whole thing. Well, then maybe we do need to say something to that guy that's shooting holes in the boat. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I I agree. But do you think that the, um, that operations like this, let's say down in Texas that have a, you know, this is how they've been doing it. They're not necessarily. I, I guess my question is: Do you think operations like this are actually hurting the hunting community?
1: So, so that's a great question, and I don't know. For all of all, like like this situation you're heading into yeah. might not be at all like what I'm thinking of. Right. So I'm very, I'm, I'm, re- I'm interested. I'm, in a way, I'm glad you're going because I do think it will be interesting to see what actually goes on there and what the actual situation is like. And because you're right, right? We right. we're we're saying a lot of stuff without actually seeing it on the ground. You make a good fair point, and I think there's probably value in ex- seeing it, experiencing it, so you have some kind of context to report back on. So I'm very interested. Yes. Um, and I think there probably are some scenarios where it's probably pretty darn close to just fine, mm-hmm. um, just fine as normal. But I think I, I, what I don't know is what percentage of the whole are the bad apples that we see and we hear about that most everyone's like, Oh man, that's horrible. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that there are some scenarios where you have animals that are essentially in captivity and someone picks an animal off a menu and says, I want to shoot that 200 inch buck. And they, they've got it in a 20 acre enclosure or whatever. And they, they lead, farmer bill or whatever his name is up and he shoots in his ground blind and they let the deer out and they shoot it. And then he walks around with his picture and shows everyone this giant buck he killed. Um, and it just is like shooting someone's pet. Yeah. Um, so I think that situations like that to me, that's not hunting. Yeah. To me, that's not fair chase. To me, that is like a, a prostitution of what I think is such a yeah. special, incredible animal and process. Yeah. Um, So that scenario, I think, A, is just so off, and again, just me, is so off base of what, like, the North American model of conservation is and about how we've managed to keep wildlife around here. Um, So that, like, that's one thing. And the second thing is that you have, when the majority, the vast majority of of non-hunters, when they're presented with that scenario, this captive trophy hunting scenario, they're like, holy shit, that is not okay at all. That's really bad. And I'm not in support of that at all. Unfortunately, even though that's a tiny, tiny micro bit of the overall hunting population, a lot of non hunters think that's what everyone's doing. And so they're seeing that thing or they're seeing like a documentary film that shows some billionaire say, oh, I'm going to shoot this alligator, bring him over here. And he shoots in the head and they see that and they think that's what we're doing. And then yes. that is what influences their opinions on hunting in general. And yeah. that then leads to these people someday voting to ban certain types of hunting. And, and who knows what's going to be 20 years from now. But I feel like every one of these PR missteps or these bad apples that get the light shined on them, yeah. that is hurting the future of hunting. So I I know for sure there are some bad apples in that captive space from the stuff I've read and seen. Um, But I don't know what the rest of it's like. Maybe there's a lot of perfectly great people out there that hunt in what seems like a perfectly fair chase environment. And these deer never know that there's a fence around them. It's miles and miles and miles away. So I don't want to condemn, you know, the whole thing because I don't understand it. Um, But I do think there are some instances that do pose serious challenges and questions.
0: Yeah. All right. So I, I went to the. I'm not going to say the name of the place where I'm going, right? As of right now. Uh, might be something I, I say later uh, because we do have, we you know, we're, we're talking about some opposing views of this company and I don't really want to hurt it. Yep. Um, so, just in all fairness, right? But I am on this website and they do have a menu of animals to shoot, right? So I could. I can select from a 130, 40, 50, 60, 90, 200 and there is a price associated with everything from a 130 all the way up to a 151 plus inch deer.
1: Right? And they and they they guarantee you that you're going to shoot that?
0: There's I don't I'm not reading anything about a guarantee, but it says hunts in both trophy and native pastures depending on objective. So the th- this what I what I'm reading into this is it is 100% controlled. Right they're they're putting these deer wherever they want to put them. Yeah, they're managing that. And it says here we only shoot mature deer at the guide's discretion. So you you have to be with a guide and then they will tell you you can shoot this deer or you can't shoot this deer or, you know, hey, this deer is outside of your price range. Uh, You can shoot it, but you're going to have to pay more or that kind of stuff. Right now, from a whitetail perspective, that does not sound interesting to me. At all, even though that this hunt is, you know, this is 100% paid for. The good thing is we're not going to be hunting whitetails because right now they don't have antlers, right? So we're not going to be, we're not going to do any whitetail hunting. Um, and I don't know if I could personally do that because I know that it is a 100% controlled environment, right? I, I just, that that's where my dilemma um Lies, as far as whitetails are concerned, Mm -hmm. right? It's just not, I'm not into that. But I don't know, and this is where I I start having these dilemmas where am I being persuaded by outside influences? Let's say like the people I follow on Instagram or let's say you or other people. Am I being influenced or am I actually making up my own mind that this is, you know, that I don't want to do that, if that makes right. sense.
1: right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to feel like I'm please don't feel like I'm pressuring you. Anyway. Oh, no, Way no.
0: There. I'm just also like I'm pl- I'm playing devil's advocate on, on all these things as well. Right. Yep. The reason I have I'm doing this podcast and this on this episode and talking like I'm trying to basically just talk this whole this whole scenario out because it is so new to me. I've yeah. never done this before. I'm so, trying to find out where my morals stand because I, I also feel that, you know, there comes a time when the deer that me and you are hunting when, you know, like throughout all, all of our lives, we're hunting these, these animals, they're wild, they're free. They have escape routes just like that. And then you, you hear these people saying, well, if let's say some of these big time hunters they um they have lots of, managed ground these deer aren't leaving it's very low pressure they have all the food they want and then you have an environment like this where you have a a deer has all the same scenario going on except there's a high fence around it you know what i mean
1: yeah yeah i mean there definitely are some situations that it's much more gray you're right yeah um now have you have you considered this possibility and and Maybe – I mean what uh, – did you ever consider going on the trip still so you get the opportunity to do the networking? You get the opportunity to do all the podcasts? Yeah. If, if you – have, well, I guess if, if in your head you feel weird or uncomfortable with the idea of shooting one of these animals in one of these closures or whatever it ends up being – um, have you considered doing the whole trip just saying, Hey, I want to observe, but I don't want to participate in the actual shooting. Is that, is that something that's possible or that you've considered?
0: Yes, I have thought about that. And I am thinking about some of that stuff still when this, when this launches, I'll actually be down there. Right. So if you're listening to this right now, I'm actually in Texas on this ranch. Right. So I, the whitetail thing is a huge deal for me because it roams it's it's native to the continent right it's it's a free-range species now we are going to be hunting exotics right so I'm ta- I'm trying to I don't know if I'm talking myself into it or if I have this feeling that because I'm going to be hunting species that are not necessarily native to the uh, United States Right. So I think Audat and Axis deer, both those animals roam free in certain parts of the United States, but are not native to the continent. Right. So yeah. I, I, I don't know if I'm being like my own hypocrite here, but I'm, I feel like I'm justifying killing these animals now or going and hunting these animals. And I'm, I'm putting a, this, I'm, I'm, uh, Uh, What's the word when you jump to conclusions that I'm looking for here? Uh, Assumption. Assumption. Yes, I'm assuming I'll be in a blind hunting over a feeder, right down in Texas. Maybe I am, or or they're going to be spreading feed out in front of me, and maybe that's how I'll do it. I don't know. I doubt I'm going to be, you know, running gunning uh, for odd add and access deer or fallow deer or sickened deer or whatever. So I'm I'm assuming all these things, and I'm justifying it by saying I'm not going to get access to any of these other animals in the United States, other than the odd ad and access deer, I think if I don't hunt in a high fence enclosure, right? So I feel like I'm justifying that, but does that make me a hypocrite? Because I have different thoughts on
1: whitetail. Yeah. Hmm. What about this? Um, So if you were to arrive and they say, Hey, me and and you, the guide and you, we're gonna go sit up in this box blind, and it is it, as you're walking out there. He drives you up there in the jeep or whatever. You're asking some questions, and he says, "Well, hey, this is a thirty thousand acre." And, and and before I continue this, I'm gonna offer a couple different scenarios, and I just kind of want to hear your thoughts on the different scenarios. So this first scenario, you're driving out to the box blind, he says, "This is a thirty thousand acre ranch. There's just a fence around the outside of it. Otherwise, a thirty thousand acres of wild." wild, you know, roaming animals. Um, you know, we run some trail cameras, so we know where some of these deer typically are, but yeah, heck, you know, it's we'll see. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, you get up in the box blind. One of these out ads comes out by the end of the night. Uh, you take a shot one with it. Does that scenario, does that make you feel like that seems like decently comfortable? That scenario you feel kind of comfortable? with? Yeah,
0: I think, I think from a, I feel more comfortable with it than yep. I do if it's hey you hear some guy in the background going oh, get out get out of here and, and like <laughs> you see them getting funneled into a a, a cage essentially yeah. you know what I mean I I feel more comfortable with that than I do knowing that you know at the end of the day they're going back to the barn and then that we feed them there and then
1: we put them back out you know what I mean well so yeah that's my next question so what if when you're driving out the jeep he says all right this is uh ten acres. And you'll be able to see the fence on three of the sides, and uh, they're putting in Jimmy in about half hour after we're sitting there. Um, what do you do in that scenario? Yeah, are you do is that is that comfortable? Like, I, what I'm trying to understand is where the, where the comfort changes. Yeah. I'm I'm curious, like, cause I, I'm wondering, like I would probably, the 30,000 acre, I'd be like, okay, like that feels normal. But then somewhere as I creep down, it's going to get weirder and weirder. I'm yeah. curious where that line is for you. Yeah.
0: See, I don't know because I don't know enough about what's going to happen to, to say whether or not I feel comfortable with it. You know what I mean? I think I'm going to find out a lot when I get there. So then I have this thought. Right? Because me and you talk about this a lot and we say, you know, like uh, you know, we a lot of people say first and foremost, I kill for the meat. Right? Yep. I don't know. I'm I, I've looked on their website and I can't really see I can't really see anything about what is happening with the meat of this animal. Right? So am I gonna eat it? I doubt I can take it home. Is it something that goes to Uh, a local food pantry is it something that goes to um actually will i be eating it throughout my my trip there right are they serving it back to us of what everybody uh you know I, i i can't find that information right so the thing then it becomes about like am i if if i go out knowing that it's a high fence animal knowing that it's it's in a controlled environment just like a cow is and i shoot it and i eat it for some reason i feel more comfortable with that than i do if it's i shoot it and i don't eat it right right so if i'm able to go kill this black buck or whatever this thing is and i shoot it and just like so to me that's like okay i've raised this cow for so long and then i shoot it and now i'm now i've gathered my own meat right i i i take more responsibility for killing an animal than i do from buying it at the store
1: yeah and i like the idea of like you called it you gathered it yeah. i like the idea of calling it you gathered it or harvested it or acquired it better yeah. than saying that it was hunted in that yeah. scenario you know that's more like an agricultural harvesting your meat Right. At least to to my mind, that's what it seems like. Yeah. Um, But then not getting the meat, then. Yeah. Like what's the point then?
0: Yeah, exactly. So, and I don't know if like, I don't even know if I'm going to be, I don't even know if, let's say I shoot a deer or, uh, or not a deer, but one of these other animals. And like, do I get to keep the skull? Do, does that, do I get to keep the cape? do all these things? And like, to me, I talked with a guy this past week, um, and he said, you know, he's a he's a big knock on door permission guy. He's from Michigan. He's hunted up in Michigan his whole life. He moved to Iowa recently, or not recently, like five years ago, um, uh, for for a job. And he went on a high fence hunt, funce, high fence hunt one time. It's the biggest buck he ever killed, right? And it doesn't even hang on his wall, and it yeah. it dwarfs all of the other deer that, or it, uh, it's just, it makes the other deer look small, right? Because of what he shot, even in Iowa. And he doesn't even have it hung on his wall because he doesn't, that, that, that mount has no meaning to him as opposed to everything else. Yeah. So if it has no meaning to me, why, then, then this is where I circle back around. If it has no meaning to me, why am I doing it? why am I going Do do I am I just an active participant at that point and I just to say hey man I'll go along with someone but I'm not going to shoot an animal right That's just that's that's me or do I say you know what let me get the full experience and then I'll make my judgment afterwards and maybe I do it again maybe I don't
1: yeah man I don't know man I uh that's an interesting pickle right So Um...
0: so based off of I know your opinions what your opinions are what I'm I'm sure there's other guys out there who have thought about this, right? They're like, man, Michigan hunting sucks, or man, I'm just fighting too many guys. I want to go out and and have a hunt where I get opportunities, you know. And I don't want to wait to go hunt Iowa, and I don't want to have to do all this extra scouting because I'm so busy. I want I want opportunities, and high fence hunting definitely gives you. God, I, I still feel like uncomfortable saying high fence hunting. You know what I mean, but high, high fence, fence shooting, yeah, high fence shooting gives you, gives guys opportunities, right? And that's what some people want, but they haven't maybe pulled the trigger on it yet. What What would your conversation be like to those to those people?
1: Well, I mean, you know, I'm not gonna, just like you know, here, I'm not gonna try to put my judgments or ideologies onto someone else, right? right? Like we all have to come to our own conclusions. We're all going to set our own, own, draw our own lines in the sand. And so, you know, I've drawn my own line in the sand and that's just what's right for me personally. Right. Um, so talking to someone else, I'd say, Hey, you know, if that's what you end up wanting to do more power to you. Um, I don't know if I would actively choose to try to dissuade them or not. Cause I don't know if that's my place. Like, yeah. I don't know if it's my place to tell you what you should do or not to do like you do your, you do you. Um, but you know, if they came to me, like the conversation we were having right now, like, Hey, I've got these, all these weird questions and I'm sure about it and I don't know what I want to do and what I feel about it. I think I would, especially if they're, you know, haven't hunted a whole lot. I think I would just caution someone if this is something they're seriously considering. Um, you know, outside of all the, like outside of the things you have, you've got a whole bunch of other factors to consider. But if someone was just like, Hey, I've struggled hunting in the past. I haven't killed anything yet. I really would like to, um, this looks like a good option. Uh, I might offer to, just to think about that story you just mentioned there about your friend who went out there, killed the deer in a high-fence operation, but it was so hollow. The experience was so hollow and shallow that he doesn't even want to see the remaining outcome of that hunt. He doesn't even want to be reminded of it and see it because it, there was so little substance to that experience. And I would tell people that I think that all the work and all the failure for me for 18 years trying to kill a deer and didn't kill one. I finally killed one after 18 years or whatever it was. And it's the tiny little dinky five point. But that sucker hangs on my wall and there's so much blood, sweat, trial and tribulation and struggle wrapped up into that set of antlers on the wall that I'm reminded of every time I see there. And, you know, so many years ago when I ate that deer, I thought of all those things that was the complete opposite. That had so much substance and vigor and and uh, and depth to it that I do want to see it all the time, and I do want to be reminded of the time. And it and it felt very worthwhile. So I would caution someone, or at least ask someone, just to think about, just think about, yeah. um, what you might be sacrificing in trying to jump past all the work just to pull a trigger. And if that outcome is really what you want. Or if it's the journey that leads up to it that really makes this stuff so valuable.
0: Yeah. Okay. So that brings me kind of back around to, you know, you hear people say that, you know, hunting is killing. We're killing an animal. You know, the outcome is an animal dies. So that then tells me that it's not a – it's not necessarily about killing an animal. It's about the method that we use to kill the animal that defines hunting, Right.
1: I mean, yeah, it's it's a combination of both, but yeah, I mean, it's like you could go out there and run trail cameras and sit in trees and look at animals with their binoculars and, um, plant food plots or scout. You could do all that stuff, but if you don't ultimately try to send an arrow or a bullet through an animal and eventually do it, you're not hunting. You're just observing and being a crazy person in the woods. So like there has to be the outcome, like the final thing you got to be trying to do is got to be there for it to actually be hunting yeah um but yeah i mean i think the experience like what we actually feel and and do does become defined by how it's done not just the trigger pull but everything else yeah yeah man that's it's it's
0: it's so crazy because then now let's let's back off the high fence for just a second and let's talk about outfitting yeah right so my my father-in-law he went on a, uh, or my, my stepdad, he went on an a antelope hunt, right? The, out there on these ranches, they're big ranches. They're not high fence, but they hold a lot of animals. And he shot it with a rifle. And he had, this was on the very first day of the hunt, right? Just so many opportunities, so many. How different is that scenario where an outfitter is leasing land from a, uh, from a, a, landowner saying, okay, we are not going to let, you're not going to let anybody hunt. We're the only people that hunt on this, on this. And, uh, maybe they take active steps, whether, whether it's plant food plots or crops. Um, I don't think there, there was that on this, uh, on this hunt per se, but let's say there's food plots and there's all this stuff there. And then a guy goes out and he shoots deer with a rifle. Is it, and it's just like almost it's almost automatic. Is that still hunting?
1: You know, I, I think it's it's it right you're you're bringing up a good point, like there's all these different shades of gray. and is that a fun hunting experience for me personally? No, that wouldn't be what I would personally want out of it., yeah. but I still think it is very different than something being in an enclosure. Like yeah. there is, there is some semblance of it not working out. There right. is some semblance, there's some semblance of uh, the unknown to a degree. I understand yeah. that's always different. Um, and yeah, like there's someone who's leading you along the way, and and so that's a different thing. And I'm okay with that. Like yeah. I, I'm I'm okay with using a guide and an outfitter, and I'm I understand that there are going to be certain scenarios that are pretty much a given. Like I know that if I go out to the back, you know, to the back, one of my whatever property it is, and there's always deer in this field. If you don't do something stupid and if you be quiet and if the wind's right, you're going to be able to shoot a deer. Yeah. Um, That's one thing. It, but I feel like it's it's, it's very different than you're going to sit in this blind and we're going to scoot this animal out the cage yeah. and you are going to shoot a deer. Like both ways, like it's 99% sure you're going to shoot an animal. Yeah. But I think the in-between is is just different enough for me personally yeah. that it it matters.
0: Yeah. So the two things that typically that I I spend the most time thinking on of you know when it comes to high fence is one the enclosure itself. Right? How big is it, you know? And then two, which I think is probably trumps everything is selective breeding. Right? Mm, is, yeah. It, is Yeah, we haven't even
1: talked about that. Yeah,
0: is this ranch literally Making other deer from because I've I've seen these shows on the hunting channel where it's 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 a farm. They are they're selective breeding these animals and they are making these three hundred and whatever two year old deer. Right? Yeah, and they start talking about this, and I watch these animals and I see their their antlers are so heavy, uh, and they are just like their head's weighed down. I see that as a science project. And I I tell you right now, I would have no interest at all hunting any type of animal like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's, it's, it just seems kind of perverse or something. I don't know, to me at least.
0: What I will say though, is this is crazy because just like cattle and sheep, and I mean they've been doing selective breeding on livestock for hundreds of years right generations of okay this this bull's going to breed this cow and they because it's got the best possible genetics where and let's say that me and you both agree that this is um, this is not uh, a wild animal anymore it's not hunting are we are we have do we have a problem with it because it's a deer that also roams wild and and that selective breeding is man i don't even have the words really to to formulate the question but it's do we have a problem with this because um cows aren't necessarily wild
1: right yeah i think i think that's i think that's probably part of why it bothers me so much is because it is like you, you you look at these animals differently yes. whether that's right or wrong but i look at a white-tailed deer in a very through a di- very different lens than i look at a cow right and it's because like you said like white-tailed deer is something that is it a native wild species and and it's a, it's an animal you know that we have so much you know admiration for respect for um that seeing that thing that to me is like such an emblem of wildness Right. We love sitting up there in the tree and watching these wild deer do the wild things they do on their own. Like that's something we enjoy and appreciate so much to see that same animal put into the completely opposite scenario. And like to see it in a cage and to see it, you know, warped through selective breeding to be this mutant. Um, that's like, I don't know. It's I don't know. It, it just feels it definitely feels different than seeing a typically captive man. It definitely feels dirty. It feels gross. It feels, um, like, uh, like I said, like a perversion of something that is like so special. Um, but that, right. That's, it's my own judgment call. Cause I'm giving this special value to a deer that maybe I shouldn't, but yeah. I just do because of the experiences we've had with them because of how much time we spend around them. I, I put them on a pedestal, I guess. Yeah. Put a wild animal like that on a pedestal. Um, And I don't know if that's fair or not fair, but it, but it is, it is why I think I'm so like particularly bothered by seeing the captive side of things.
0: Yeah. So let's say that, you know, and we're running out of time and I have a whole bunch of different questions and let's say you ever came face to face with a family who runs an operation like this. They're just like us, except they run an operation like this. Do Do you think, do you like what's that conversation look like?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I mean, you're right. I mean, these are, I'm sure, or I'm just as likely as it is to walk up to any other deer hunter. Yeah. 99.9% of the time, they are likely a good person, an upstanding individual, yes. a generous, kind, helpful person. And, you know, I don't know I'm I don't know any more than anybody else. So I I certainly wouldn't want to come in with, I'm not going to be an asshole to them. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, uh, denigrate them or or talk shit to them about what they're doing. Um, I would probably have some questions about it. I probably, I I think that kind of like what you're doing, I would have some curiosity around it. I'd like to understand how they see things, how they feel about some of these things, um, what they think about my perspective. Um, you know, I like the idea of talking to someone with very different views than me. Um, you know, if they're willing to, I certainly am willing to have a conversation with someone who I disagree with um, in an agreeable way, right? Right. You don't need, you, you can you can disagree without being disagreeable. Um, so I'd like to have that kind of conversation with someone to, t- to better understand their perspective. Because you're right, like, I am approaching this issue 100% from just one side of the issue. I don't have the, the other perspective. So yeah. Maybe there's other stuff out there I'm not seeing, and I I would be curious to better understand it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you right now that my goal while I'm out there is to have the same conversation with, let's say, the guy who runs the operation, if he's available, or somebody else who runs an operation similar to this. I want to have a conversation, and I want to ask them all the same questions but get their point of view, right? Because it's only fair. That, yeah. you know, we we're, we look at both sides of the story here. Um, and it could be, you know, just because, you know, just like my best friends, I, one of my best friends, I, I would say I'm more conservative and he is a hardcore liberal, right? So we have this great friendship, but completely disagree uh, about everything on the political scale. But he's still mm-hmm. one of my best friends, right? Yeah. So like, that's, I feel like that's how. Uh, the the agree-to-disagree mentality is what hunters have to do if we want to continue with this tradition that we love, whether you love hunting in a high fence or whether you love hunting public ground. You know what I mean? And and every everything in between.
1: Yeah, man. I, I, I agree. I think that at a minimum we need to – there's just so much of this stuff outside – it, it's inside the hunting world, but it's also outside of it. There's so yeah. much of this – tribalism like okay if, if i'm in this team you're on this team and then it's your enemies and you don't even want to have a rational conversation or ask questions or be willing to look at other perspectives there's all this like i don't know just like whole tr- building a trenches and setting up for warfare and i yeah. feel like it's hurting us in so many ways that if we could just have conversations and be willing to just consider like hey I don't agree with what you're saying, but I will listen to it Yep. and I'll offer you a couple thoughts on it and here's my thoughts on it Yeah. and we can still be friends. Like, man, I wish we could get some more of that back into the, back into this country and back into the political dialogue yeah. um, and the hunting community, all of it. Yeah. So, so Absolutely. yeah, man, I'm, I'm very interested to hear how this goes. I'm really interested to hear your thoughts afterwards um, and, and I appreciate you, you know, being willing to to hear my thoughts and and to to offer me the chance to talk about
0: it gotcha oh and okay so while i was recording this right um while i was recording this i got a i i text messaged my buddy or the guy who i'm kind of going with on this thing i asked what about the meat and he said we pay for processing and shipping of meat so it sounds like i'm gonna be getting it
1: that's good yeah that's great
0: that's awesome so that kind of that makes me feel a little bit more comfortable about what it is that I'm doing.
1: I will be very interested to hear how what uh, what I would add or, or access deer tastes like. Yeah,
0: absolutely. We'll have to do a uh, we'll have to do a follow-up.
1: That sounds like a good plan to me, man. I'm looking forward to that.
0: And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That brings us to the end of this podcast. Just wanna say A really loud thank you to mark for taking time out of his day i know he is really busy um so thank you for taking time out of your day to hop on the podcast and chat with us uh keep an eye out uh for more content from wired to hunt um other than that man i don't have too much to say if you're not following sportsman's nation or nine finger chronicles on instagram or facebook you need to go do it because there's a ton of great information and and there's a community kind of um, wrapped around those social media platforms uh, through the Nine Finger Chronicles and uh, Sportsman's Nation. So please just go uh, like those and become a that part, become a part of that community. Other than that, huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast: Hunter Safety Systems, Lone Wolf, Wasp, Ripcord, Ozonix and Prime. If you haven't already, please go out and at least check those companies out because they support this podcast, and without their support, um, this doesn't this isn't happening anymore. So please just take take a minute out of your day and uh, go tell them the Nine Finger Chronicles sent you and uh, blow me up. Just kidding. Ha. <laughs> anyway, I think that's it, man. Go subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you find wherever you download your podcast. Check out the YouTube channel, the Sportsmanization YouTube channel. Subscribe to that. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, our friends at Hunter Safety Systems are reminding us that if you're going to be in a tree, please wear your damn safety harness. Have a good week.